Hello, listeners, and welcome to the first episode of our new format. This is Tess, and I'm here to address two quick things about the episode you're about to hear. First, a correction. At the time of recording, Beth and I mistakenly thought that The Woman King was nominated for a Best Picture Oscar, and we make reference to that. It was not, and to be honest, we both feel that this was a huge oversight, and probably not unrelated to some systemic Hollywood biases. Second, we love this movie so much that we talked about it for way too long, and as such, this episode has been edited into two parts. You are about to hear the first, and the second will be up in two weeks. Enjoy! a mother-daughter podcast about the representation of women in movies and television. I am Tessa Dare, a writer and the author of the paranormal mystery series The Karanzan Chronicles and Beth's Daughter. And I am Beth Von Baron, Tessa's mother and also a writer. If you made the journey with us during our first year for our Gilmore Girls Rewatch podcast, Where You Lead, and you are still staying with us through this new chapter, thank you so much. The first year of our podcast was fun, provocative, and a learning experience for us. I had to learn to slow down and speak clearly, and Tess had to master the engineering of sound editing. We eventually found our groove, but also realized we really wanted to broaden our outlook, our scope, and our topics. I would also like to add just a quick note here that because this is the first episode of this iteration of our podcast, our structure and how we proceed is a work in progress. We will get better. Just stay with us. Going forward, we will examine movies and television series that feature women as the leading characters or whose stories focus on women or women's issues. We are starting this new era by looking at the movies nominated for Best Picture at the Oscars in 2022. Today we are discussing The Woman King. It was released on September 16th, 2022. It was directed by Gina Prince Bythewood. Is that how you pronounce that, do you think? Bythewood? That's my that's my guess, Prince Bythewood. Okay. Yeah. Uh, the screenplay was by Dana Stevens, uh, based on a story by Maria Bello, the actress, and Dana Stevens. It was produced by Kathy Schulman, Viola Davis, Julius Tenen, and Maria Bello. Director of photography is Polly Morgan. Production de- designer was Aiken McKenzie. The editor was Terrilyn Shropshire. And visual effects supervisor was Sarah ben- Bennett. And normally we might not introduce all those names, but we're doing it today to point out that, that there were only two men's names in that list. Aiken McKenzie, the production designer, and Julius Tenen, one of the producers, are the only two men who were in the major, what I consider the major credit for a movie which is pretty fantastic and very kind of unique yeah it's a very uh woman powered movie from top to bottom from top to bottom i did just want to note a little bit about the director gina prince bythewood just a little bit on her career she also directed the old guard which is a movie on netflix that i don't think you've seen but Mm -hmm. i've seen it and i really liked it uh it stars charlize theron charlize theron and she also directed much earlier in her career i think her, her breakout was love and basketball which I have not seen, but I've heard that it's pretty good for, I think it's a teen movie. 
uh, but I've heard that okay. it's a pretty good one. I haven't seen it, though. But I have seen The Old Guard, really enjoyed it, and she also directed this one, which was pretty good. Okay. So, yeah, just a little note on her. I wrote that down as you were talking, so I make sure and, and watch it. The movie was filmed in the Republic of Benin and also in the Banda Safari Private Game Reserve in Hulu. <laughs> Bear with me. Hului KwaZulu Natal, South Africa. And the most interesting thing in all of these credits for me is that it was produced with the supportive incentives from the Irish film industry. So we were talking about this and trying to figure out what that meant. Couldn't find any information on it. So it probably just means they applied for some money and some grant money and got it. Anyway, it was also inspired by two events. I think a lot of the story is fictional, but um, it, it yeah. is a, it's about the Agogie, the female warriors from the kingdom of Dahomey and they did exist they were real and Mm -hmm. much of the main characters or a number of the main characters are named after real historical figures yeah Nawi the younger they're kind they're kind of two main characters there's Viola Davis as Naniska and then there's Nawi is played by Tuso Mbedu so they pronounce the M okay yes at least according to an interview that I watched with her but that was how the interviewer introduced her and she seemed on board with it so I think she's okay Tuso Mbedu. So she plays Nawi. The name Nawi is actually supposedly the name of the last living Agogie. There was a woman in the 1970s who was interviewed and is believed to have been the last living Agogie, and she talked about fighting the French during their invasion of the Kingdom of Dahomey. That's wild. So in, in the, Ago- the Agogie are an elite all-female unit of warriors determined to defend their nation, and that's what was in the description that I read. So we came up with, it's set in West, West Africa, in 1823 and here is a too long synopsis but we're going to go with it because it's a complicated film and we think you need to know what what we're talking about when we reference stuff as the movie opens there is narration by amenza of the history history that up until that point her quote is the african kingdom of dahomey is at a crossroads. Gizo, the king, has taken power. Their enemy, the Oyo Empire, has joined forces with the Mahi people to raid Dahomey villages and sell their captives to European slavers. The Oyo have guns and horses, but the young king has his own fearsome weapon, an elite force of women soldiers, the Agoje, led by General Naniska. Naniska. These warriors are all that stand between the Oyo and Dahomey's annihilation. And that was a quote from Amenza. The film opens with a violent battle in a Mahi village and it is soon explained that this is retaliation for a raid on a Dahomey village. The Agoji are triumphant and are able to recover or to, to recover the Dahomey captives who have not yet been killed or sold. As they leave the village, the general Naniska picks up a horseshoe with with her bloody sword and says horses that's a very great it's a great visual because she realizes that the oil soldiers were here because they have horses she uses this knowledge to convince the king that they have to change their strategy from one of living with the oil's demands including payments to them while the oil capture and sell africans into slavery to one of finding other things to cultivate and sell such as gold or palm oil which apparently is plentiful on their lands this will also involve a declaration of war with the oil however which is a much bigger kingdom than Dahomey, but as Naniska explains, quote, the slave trade is a poison slowly killing us, end quote. 
She wants the king to see the bigger picture, that all Africans are their people, not just his, his countrymen. And they need to put an end to the slave trade. This is, this is an important theme in the movie. The main conflict here between Naniska and King Gezu is he agrees that Dahomey people should not be sold into slavery. Mm-hmm. But he does not agree yet about any other tribes, All Africans, basically. yeah. But she's got a much bigger, long-range approach to this problem. So in the second main plot of the movie, we meet Nawi, who whose father is trying to marry her off to an old man in the tradition that is as old as humankind. Women have long been the property of men, their fathers, and then their husbands. And here's another instance of it. Now he talks back to the potential husband, and he slaps her and leaves. Her father takes her to the king's sister. And this is not the first time this has happened. <laughs> he, she has rejected several suitors. So her father takes her to the king's walled community and offers her to him. She decides to join the Egoji. Egozi, who is one of the members of the Egoji, becomes Izogi. her mentor. Izogi? What did I say? Izogi. Oh, I pronounced, it, I pronounced it a J. It's Izogi. Yeah. Okay, Izogi, because there's a lot of Zs and Js in yes. here. Let me tell you. I was a little worried about pronouncing all these names. <laughs> it's wonderful. They're beautiful. It's a beautiful language, but it is not easy for us. Izogi becomes her mentor, and Nawi eventually trains well enough to pass all the tests and even wins the final competition amongst the Azogi, uh, Azogi, <laughs> uh, amongst the Agoji, the, the newly appointed, the newly anointed Agoji. Yeah, okay. The trainees. The trainees. That's it. When the Oreo come to King Gizo, am I pronouncing that right? Or Gezo? I think it's Gezu. Is it kind of Gezu? how they say it? Gezu? Okay. Yeah. Gezu. Okay, so when the Elio come to the King Gezu for their tribute, which is what they get paid, he gives them less than they expect, which results in their the general demanding that they now give them 40 Agoji to make up for it. The king agrees to 20, but this turns out to be a feint. Meniska brings 20 warriors to the Oyo general, Oda Abe, a man she recognizes from the darkest moment of her past. But instead of offering them up, she dumps the head of his underling at his feet and attacks. She doesn't win this fight, but she and the Goji escape, effectively declaring war on the Oyo. The encounter with Oda Abe resurf- resurfaces Naniska's memories of when she was captured about 20 years prior and forced to endure multiple gang rapes, particularly at the hands of Oda Abe. She also notices a particular scar on Nawi's shoulder and soon realizes that Nawi must be the child she was impregnated with and gave up. Meanwhile, Nawi sneaks out of the palace to meet up with Malik, a half-white, half-Dahomey man who has traveled to Dahomey with Brazilian slavers. He's come back to find the Dahomey because that's where his mother was from. He tells her, he tells Nawi that the Oyo are marching on Dahomey with the help of other tribes. And when she realizes relays this information to Naniska, Naniska tells her the story of her birth, though it is not exactly a tender scene between them. She she's almost kind of using it as a punishment because she she disapproves that Nawi was talking to this boy at all. Yeah, she's trying trying to make a point that she never really quite gets across because it's a very emotional story to tell, and she hasn't really chosen the best way to do that because they're in a, yeah. a a public communal bath bathing area. So soon after that, Naniska and the other generals the Mikan, Izogi, and Amenza 
observe the OEO camp and realize that they are planning to attack Dahomey the next day. Knowing that the OEO believe Dahomey will only defend themselves from within their walls, Maniska uses an idea that Nawi came up with during training to utilize gunpowder without a gun. They use it to spark explosions. And the explosions give them the element of surprise and they are able to overrun the OEO, but during the battle, many Egoji are taken prisoner, including Nawi and Izogi who uh, attempt an escape that fails and Izogi is killed. There are a couple of major turning points in the, in the movie, and I think that's one of them. The king forbids Naniska from returning to free the prisoners, but she defies him after realizing that it is her own fears, it is her own fears from the gang rape that have kept her from realizing her full potential as a leader. She leaves on foot by herself at a slow run and is quickly joined. She doesn't go unnoticed because she is quickly joined by other Agoji and the men soldiers, including the Magak. And so together, uh, and I just love that scene where they, they, they follow her and they're all running and they're kind of singing. Yeah, because it, it kind of the way that it's shot, it looks like she's alone and then it slowly reveals that her best friend Aminsa is there, but also the Migan, who she has a somewhat contentious relationship with. He's the male general. Mm-hmm. So the reveal that he's there is kind of this, is it's a good moment because you don't really expect him to be someone to support her. And we need to come back to this because it's not just him, it's his, it's his men. It's he his brings men, his yeah. men with him too, yeah. They go back and they, they destroy the villas. They release the prisoners. Naniska kills Oba Ade who was one of the men who raped her. Nawi, meanwhile, has been released, purchased, actually, by Malik, whose mother had been captured from Dahomey and herself sold into slavery. So that's a, that's a weird moment, too, when she realizes, you, you purchased me, you didn't just free me. Malik's father is white, so he comes to realize that he cannot support the slave trade and leaves Africa at the end of the movie with what we hope was a true resolve to work to put an end to it. We don't know what happens to him, but we do see him ride off in, in a boat. Yeah, and we do see him... He does allow the white slaver that he came with to be killed, and he actually does free some of the black yes. men that the guy was taking off in a boat. He he frees. Well, them. he frees them, and then they kill his. And then they, and, and, and he lets his, it happen. It's his friend. Yeah, it's his friend. he lets it happen, and it's his friend that he's grown up with. I mean, they yeah. were they were good friends. It's it's a really hard thing for him to do, but. See, at the end of the film, despite her defiance, the king names her the Woman King, which is an historic honor that recent kings had stopped giving to women. But this king restores in this moment, and they end with dancing and celebration. And that's a very long synopsis. We won't do this every time, but this was a complicated movie. It's a and... very complicated movie. It, I, mm-hmm. I, so I had watched it when it first came out. Um, my partner and I watched it in the theaters, and I was absolutely blown away by it. And then when I rewatched it this week, I basically had to rewatch watch it over two days and it took like most of those two days because there was so much detail happening and mm-hmm. I, I wanted to make sure that I was capturing it it is a complex movie I mean there are there yes. are basically two full main characters like Nawe and Naniska both have two full movies happening side by mm-hmm. side and they're they're a really interesting contrast um, because they're both different kinds of classic hero archetype stories yes Naniska's story is sort of the the like hardened warrior who has to overcome the trials of her past to sort of reach her full potential as a leader whereas Nawe is the the new recruit who has to is like just coming into her power and actually there's a really interesting moment between Nawe and Izogi where Izogi has figured out that Nawe is flirting with Malik she she saw him wave at her and what she says to her is you are powerful do not give your power away I I wrote that one down too it was wonderful yeah do not give your power away 
And that, and that's kind of part of her story too, because in the end, mm-hmm. Malik wants her to come with him. And I remember mm-hmm. in the theater the first time I saw it, just being like, "Oh God, girl, don't go with him, don't go with him." And she doesn't. She, she it's not even really a question for her. There's not even really a waiver. But that that in itself is a big jump for her because yeah. uh, up until that point, until up until all these things happen, you can see in her face that she doesn't really believe she should have to give up love and children. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. She should be able. She, I think she really thinks she should be able to have she should be able to get married and have it all so that's a that's a modern theme too because we all think we should be able to have it all they they do make a point that you know each of the women who come to the uh, agogie oh, oh also before we keep going i should just make a note that most of my pronunciations except for the ones that i looked up independently most of mine are based on how they said it in the movie so if they did it wrong in the movie then i'm probably going to be doing it wrong <laughs> but okay <laughs> that's that's what i'm basing my pronunciations on uh, but they do make a point that most of the agogie they come from different places and and Nawe is a little bit different. Uh, most of the Agogie, it is implied in the film, are former captives or were kind of raised in a, a rougher way. And she came from not a wealthy family, but she came from like a normal family. And she's one of the women who is given to the king because she wasn't obedient enough. And Naniska tells her early on that most of the people like that don't make it. On the pronunciation, I thought they pronounced it in the movie Agogi. Uh, I think they're kind of doing a diphthong at the end okay kind of like Chidozi's Chidozi's last name yeah first name is yeah and it, it also kind of sounds to me like grazie in, in Italian okay. the ending the ea so I think it's agogie but it's definitely t- to the English ear I think it's somewhere between e and ea because we don't really do diphthongs in English yeah yeah uh, so it's, yeah I, but I, I think it's like a diphthong I think it's agogie yeah but anyway what was I talking about <laughs> oh yeah she she came from a normal family she was given up oh yeah because kind of medical Class. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So there's sort of this idea that maybe she started off a little bit cosseted and she kind of has to overcome that. And part of that is giving up love. I think also just to, to go back to that discussion between her and uh, Izogi, in this time period, I, I feel like today there's definitely an argument to be made that you don't have to give up your power to love somebody. But in the 1800s, as a woman, submitting yourself to marriage was giving up your power. Yes. And yes. So Izogi has a very real point here. It's it's not she just does. about not allowing yourself to have love. It's about the society that they live in, that everyone at this time lived in, where women who were married, women who let romantic love <laughs> lead their lives, didn't really get to make their own decisions or have their own power. And certainly in Nawe's relationship with Malik, she's like nothing of what he expects. He, he doesn't expect her to be wearing as few clothes as she is. And they, they have this exchange where she, she won't let him in the palace and she is sort of confused by him and she's like where you're from are people just allowed to look at the king's women because the agogie technically belong to the king I actually in the I, I was reading about the actual historical uh, agogie and they were all technically married to the king they were mm. technically his wives he did not sleep with them but they were all legally married to him and that was sort of their legal justification for them not taking partners that's interesting yeah so she asks Malik where you're from are people just allowed to look at the king's women and he's like well where I'm from they wear a lot more clothes and her response is then how do they run how do they run (laughs) that's 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 a great scene yeah and that's so emblematic of what's happening here like how do they run well the answer is they don't (laughs) I think there's another aspect to it too these women are warriors and it is 
they have to have a single-minded focus to protect themselves and each other. It's I, I for you and you for I, I forget what the phrase is, but they use it, use it several times. If you have a child, it is always going to be in the back of your mind mm-hmm. that you have to stay alive. You have to do whatever you have to do to protect your child. And in fact, that becomes a theme later on in the movie when we, when we find out that Nawe is the Niska's daughter. She does put set aside things that she shouldn't should not be setting aside to save her daughter. It's a common theme in movies where there are battles and wars and warriors where they lose their focus to protect a loved one. And the, the child is the person you love the most in the world. So of course you're going to, even though they haven't had a relationship until now, of course she's going to put her first. And you can't. As a warrior, you have to do everything you, you can to win the battle or to win the combat or whatever's happening. And you can't do that if your focus is on children. So there, there's a real concrete reason for having that rule. But I would also say that this is, for me, this movie is a coming-of-age movie. And it's it's not just a coming-of-age movie for Naoi. It's also a coming-of-age movie for Naniska. Mm-hmm. Because when Naoi comes back into her life, she is a, she has to. She's forced to to think about this gang rape and what it did to her and how because you know she has throughout the film she has flashbacks to it and you know you see it just just slight uh shots you don't really even see you see you see a face for a while it doesn't look anything like the the oreo guy the ade obey or whatever his name is oba ade i i had the most trouble with his name too oba ade it's it's the vowels are going in different directions on your tongue when and there's two different two different words so yeah it's hard to say his name so it, it doesn't really look like him, but of course they're all young in this. It's 20 years before. So they're usually different actors, but there's a lot of men in the scene, and she's being raped by a lot of different men. We don't know which one is the father. However, as Nawe puts it, it was evil. I am the product of evil, and that's all that matters. But at some point, Naniska realizes that she has to face this. She has to regain her power and move forward and save save Dahomey, save, save the, the, the women who are imprisoned, and get rid of the slave trade that she's got a lot of gold out of that rapist (laughs) and kill the heck out of that rapist yeah yeah and she really does too that's the other thing just we should have probably started with this it's a violent movie it's a pretty and actually i i want to start with this because the open we've already started but we we should talk about the opening though yeah the open the opening scene gosh one of the best opening scenes I've ever seen in a movie and it's fantastic yeah so the opening scene is the mahi men are, are sitting on a campfire and they hear these sounds and they look up but they don't see anything so they dismiss it return to the conversations around the fire and then the camera looks out into like the, the jungled area mm-hmm. and the agoges slowly stand up inside mm-hmm. the weeds and you can just see them come there's not a lot of light it's a dark scene and yeah. all of their, their skin is very dark so it takes a second for you to even realize what's happening but they're standing up very slowly and all of a sudden either the camera kind of does a thing where it lets your eyes adjust so you realize that these are women and these are warriors and in a split second because it doesn't take very long this is maybe three seconds as, as they stand up but it's just such a, um, an amazing visual they stand up inside these weeds uh reeds excuse me reeds inside these reeds and it's a scariest shit visual i'm gonna tell you yeah. and then it's also kind of beautiful it's, it's beautiful it's very, very it's gorgeous I mean, it's, it's and, Viola and, Davis, 
Uh, Viola Davis is coming for you. <laughs> it, she's coming for you. It's very ghost-like. Because yes. at first they just look like they're monsters. And yeah. then you realize that they're women and they're beautiful. And then you hear Viola Davis's war cry. Which, and it just sends shivers down your it's, back. It's the same as the Xena cry. <laughs> is it really? That, that's Xena's battle cry too. Yeah. I, so supposedly, um, I looked this up because I, I, I remembered thinking this originally. Like, oh my god, it's the Xena cry. Obviously, like, Xena did not actually originate that because Xena is a fictional character. I looked it up and apparently Lucy Lawless based the undulation sound on listening to a recording of Arabic women crying at a funeral. Like she oh, just wow. thought that it was so haunting that she kind of took that and made that the Xena battle cry. Uh, and it's it sounds very similar to what they're doing in this movie. Well, I, I just wonder how long it took Viola to get that down. Cause, and I'm yeah. pretty sure she did it. But, and you know, and there's so many sounds in that cry when she does it. It's like her voice is all over the range. It's up and down, and it la- it really lasts two seconds at the most, yeah. and then they stampede mm-hmm. <laughs> the the men standing around and pretty much slaughter them. So it was a, uh, and then there's a battle that happens. It's hand to hand combat, and ev- everything in here is hand to hand combat for the most part, yeah. except for the men who are up on the horses. But as uh, the Niska points out, that's arrogant. They are up on the horses, and they think that's going to keep them safe. It's a form of arrogance because it doesn't. You can cut that horse out. You know, if you're good with your with your sword, that the horse isn't going to get in the way. Now, the guns are a different matter, but they, they use gunpowder later on to, to outsmart them in that way, too. But it's very bloody and gory and violent. Fortunately, there are only two significant scenes like that. Yeah, also, we are talking about guns in the 1800s, which, as they point out, are really slow to load, and you can basically yep. only get off one shot yeah you can basically get off one shot before you have to like completely reload it which means in the heat of a battle where people are coming at you with swords that they can use over and over again you're going to get off one shot and then it's done so you might mow down the, the people on the front with that one shot if you have yeah. enough guns it's to go around yeah, it's definitely then... an advantage but it's not such an advantage that you're going to automatically win the battle yes and i think they did have the swords on the guns i forget mm-hmm. what that's called bayonet bayonet yes yeah. so yeah. They can use that a little bit too, but they're up being up on a horse with with women and men because it's both the agoji and the, I don't know what there's a a name for the male warriors, but it's both the men and the women warriors, and yeah. they're all on the ground and they're all attacking them. You're not going to go very far when you're up on a horse unless you've got what's that stuff called the soldiers wore in the uh, Middle Ages armor. Yeah. So I came yeah, up I with just... Middle Ages. <laughs> oh, and well, it's, it's also it's distinctly a European thing. Like this, this symbolizes yes. that the Oyo have allied themselves with the Europeans. Mm-hmm. I did also want to make a note that, you know, we're talking about the violence. I remember thinking when I watched it the first time that like, it's not actually any more violent than say Game of Thrones, which I know you've never seen, but it did kind of make me more anxious than that violence. And eventually I realized it's because they're not wearing armor. I'm really like, mm-hmm. I'm so accustomed to these really bloody scenes where everyone is yes. wearing huge, like full armor and seeing people with their bare skin and also that the agogier oiled themselves up before battle so they're very oily looking in the first scene oh yeah and but they've got so much bare skin it just feels really vulnerable as you're watching it you're just like oh my gosh all of that could get hurt which obviously you know the truth is armor doesn't actually protect you from everything and it makes total sense in a hot climate like this that you're not gonna you you would die if you were wearing armor and europe is 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 much cooler so they 
can wear it there. But even then, it's not going to... That's why they have the chain mail around their neck mm -hmm. because yeah. it gives them some protection and not getting their, their heads cut off. Yeah. Not enough, though, because yeah. you can still... They still get their heads cut off. So, yeah. but th those are the kind of... That's the kind of damage you see these uh, warriors are doing mm -hmm. in this battle. And they've got these big-ass, long swords. I mean, they're not swords like, like you know, from the Middle Ages. They're not those long... And they're not the... The fencing kind of sword. It's like a big long knife, maybe eighteen to twenty-four inches, and yeah, it's almost like a scimitar. Yeah, and it's like yeah, maybe four inches across, and they're they're very heavy because there's a scene at the beginning. This is what I came up with the the coming of age thing because now I think she can pick up one of those swords yes. and, and easily easily and take down so the heavy. the dummy, yeah. and it is so heavy she picks it up and immediately drops it right into the ground and apologizes and like as, as soon as she picks it up she's like oh i'm sorry i'm not gonna be able to do this i'm not gonna be able to do this but then they say no no you gotta go you, you gotta, gotta do, do it. it so she you said you could go go show us so she picks it up and that's a coming of age scene because it happens in yes. a lot of, of movies with boys who mm -hmm. take on stuff that they perfect themselves up and then they really think that they can do this and i can do this and then they they drop the sword i mean it's, it's a very common scene with typically with boys with but boys, here yeah. it's it's with girls so yeah. it's a great scene but it does tell us how heavy these damn swords are so yes. yeah they are taking these swords so you know they're going to do damage to the people yeah. they're they're hitting and it is gory if you if you don't like blood and gory stuff you gotta avert your eyes i also wanted to mention it's just like one of the things that occurred to me while i was watching the opening scene is that it really reminded me of a western like the the feel of it the 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 dudes around the campfire there's something out in the dark and then at the very end she picks up the the horse the horse hoof thing with her night like a lot of it is not like a western but something about the vibe of it just really reminded me of a western yeah just the setting is so different the setting is different and i didn't get that at all but you're absolutely right with that scene where she picks up the horseshoe with her sword that is covered in blood yes and you know she she picks it up with the tip of her sword and says horses and then and it's just that's a, she looks at it she just says horses and it's like wow that's a that the, just the word horses tells you a lot about the changes that are happening in their society too yeah so she's picking up this horseshoe which is not for our era but for that era very much a futuristic element and she's picking it up with a sword that is that is not a futuristic element so that contrast is is really dynamic and just a, an incredible scene and a look on her face when she says horses tells us all it, it's a yeah. it's times are changing here real briefly i'll just mention also part of what is happening for her emotionally in this scene is she comes upon a young woman who i think turns out to be fumbe i'd have to go back and be sure but i think she becomes one of the trainees that's friends with nawe but she's mourning her mother the her mother mm -hmm. was killed by the village that they raided and naniska offers to bring her back to her old village and she says there, there's no one for her to go back to they've already sold they like killed her father and sold her brothers into slavery and now her mother's dead too that's kind of what changes that's that's kind of the moment where naniska decides they need to change how they are dealing with the oyo yes her her decision moment right after that we get to the nawe introduction scene which i have a couple of notes about the first is that i just i really love that shot where you get the two girls carrying 
carrying baskets and then it pans up to the whole kingdom of Dahomey. It's I feel like it sets you up really mm. well for the two things that are going on in this movie where we both we have the like intimate details of people's lives against the backdrop of like epic moments in history. Yes. That's a really good point. In fact, we don't get a lot of that in this movie and I think they set it up at the beginning because they want you to know that this is a story about warriors. But there's a there's a community here. There's a culture. There's a village. The people have lives who are not warriors, and they they do you know they have trades. They 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 put the horseshoes on the you yeah. know on the, on the, or they don't probably not in this village, but they have trades. And there's a whole community, and they are outside the walls mm-hmm. of where the so where the warriors, the soldiers, and the king and his wives yeah. live. But it's like that's almost like a medieval thing because I think in in med- medieval castles there were different layers like that uh, as well. You know, the outer a, part. Yeah, because I, I think there I think there is a wall around the whole kingdom, but then there's also yes. a wall around the palace, yes. and then there's an inner wall where with the yeah. inner palace where the women like a were. keep. It was like yeah. a keep, like the inner part is the keep or whatever. So yeah, so yeah, I think that that is that's a really important part that the, that the, these warriors. They're, they're cowboys. You're absolutely right because they defend the village, but they are never going to be part of the village. Yes. So that is a cowboy trope and through and through. And they're literally not allowed to marry, and the cowboy nope. never sets do- settles down and gets married. Yeah. No, he's always an outsider. Yeah. And they are outsiders. Um, but yeah, and, and then we also get the parade where the Agogia return, along with, I think, the, the male warriors as well. Um, but yes, they're celebrated. The, yeah, they're celebrated, and uh, we get some dialogue from the normal citizens who, uh, like, we get some, some parents who are telling their, their son to avert his eyes because you're not supposed to look at the Agogia because they belong to the king. And then mm-hmm. Izogi sees him peeking through his eyes and, like, sneaks up right in front of him and waits for him to open his eyes and then kind of, like, ma- makes cute. a big face at him. It's adorable. Yeah, There's a lot of humor in this movie, too. And actually, I, I want to bring up a, a couple of these. Where's, where are my notes here? The look that Agogi gives Naoi when she says she will not marry a man. Oh, no, she's saying this to Naniska, that she will not marry a man who beats her. And Agosi looks, yeah, yeah, yeah. And but Agosi is looking at her, and just this hilarious look comes over her face as if to say, "Yeah, that's right." But really, (laughs) it's a knowing look, but it's a it's a really funny way. The funny way the way she does it. Agosi tells her in the palace that she doesn't have to look away. But then she also tells her she doesn't have to look away from the women. But then she also tells her, "Close your mouth. You look like a fish." And Isogi's <laughs> <Yeah>. great. <laughs> she is great. She also says to her, "She's feeling sorry for herself." Now he does that for just a short amount of time. She really gets over it pretty quickly. But Isogi says to her, "Your family was cruel. It is enough to make you cry, but it is better to laugh." Yeah. And then she says. Oh, see, I don't know who Amenza is talking to here, but she says, I would step on her head to win a foot race, and Amenza oh, laughs. That's, N- now, that's she Naniska t- talking to Nawe, because it's, it's after Nawe, uh, during the final competition, Nawe turned back to help Fumbe get through the uh, acacia thorns, which was a real thing. It's based on a real thing. Yeah, when I, when I looked it up, that, that is one of the real tests that the Agogia had to go through, was to uh, crawl through. Oh, but not her, not her going back. Not, not the plot, just yeah. the, the, the acacia yeah. bush, that they had to crawl through a wall of acacia bush. And her going back, get her friend through the, the, the wall of stickers. What are those called? Thorns. Thorns, that's the word. Getting, getting her through that, because she gets stuck and she can't get out. 
that's a common thing in in military movies you know mm-hmm. in war scenes where you you know they tell you no you can't you you got to win this you can't go back for them and the true test of friendship and camaraderie is to help your friends so that you you both yeah. get over and also no man left behind that kind of thing so but anyway she see she does help her get through it and she still wins she mm-hmm. still wins today so that's good and but yeah you mentioned already that in brazil the women cover their bodies my leak says and then now he says then how do they run so there's just yeah. a lot of lot of humor in this movie and and i really i i love that it's a very serious movie and serious topics slavery the you know the role of women war that is incredibly violent and yet there's so many there are so many humorous moments that it kind of helps you get through it yeah i did also like my my kind of final note about the early scene with nawi and her parents and i, I want to make mm. this point because i, I feel like uh, there's so often in especially american discourse we have this tendency to act like sexism is a thing that only happens in other cultures you know mm. like there's there's sort of this trope that you know we should all be anti-muslim because the muslim people really don't treat their women well and it, it's always kind of a false dichotomy and yep. here i feel like this scene with nawi and her parents the really interesting thing to me about this scene is that I also watched, when I was a little girl, I read um, this book called Catherine Called Birdie. It was uh, one of the books that I remember the most from my childhood, and I watched the movie version over the this past year. And Catherine Called Birdie takes place in the Middle Ages in Europe. Uh, it is it is a European story. It's an English story. It takes place in England. Oh, I just watched uh, and, that a couple months ago. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and it's basically this scene. Like, this scene is the, it's the same story. The, Catherine Called Birdie is about this girl named Catherine whose uh, father is trying to sell her into marriage to old men. It's the same freaking thing. Really old. I mean, she's 15, <laughs> and yeah. they are, like, 45. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's, like, it's like worse than, than this scene, although this scene's pretty bad, too, because now we're, This like one's 19. pretty bad. She's 19, he's he's at least 45. Yeah, 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 50 maybe, yeah. Yeah. So yeah, but I just wanted to point out that like, this is not a thing that only happens in Dahomey or in African cultures. Like you said, it has been happening to women since the dawn of time. It is in every culture. Including American culture. Including including current, modern day American culture. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. it was one of the things that we we kind of threw off almost immediately when our, our ancestors did when they came to the came because there there was no way to survive. You you know you had to marry whoever whoever could help you survive. It was yeah. it's very this country was not a friendly place for for people to to come to. So it's re- I mean it's really interesting to look at the history of women's rights in America in part because depending on where you went women would have different levels of power. Like a lot of the Mm -hmm. time, if a woman went really far out west, she might end up in a place where she could gain a lot of power because she'd go to a town where there were like only two women and like a hundred men. Mm -hmm. That's actually the story, part of the story of Seattle. Uh, When Seattle was first founded, it was mostly men. And the wealthiest person in Seattle around the turn of the century was a woman who owned a brothel. And she actually started the Seattle public school system when she died. So, but yeah, <laughs> that's <laughs> but cool. anyway, yeah. Part of what's happening in this scene is just kind of it's it's what women have have always had to contend with is this yes. sort of 
buying and selling of our bodies against our will. And then the irony at the end is that he, her father thinks it's a punishment to give her to the, the Agogier when we saw her the scene before staring in wonder at them and whispering with her friend about them. And you just know, like, actually, this is the nicest thing you could do for her. This yes. is what she wants. And, you know, there's a whole lot that we get into here that we don't really have time to about all the... Yeah. The, the, the literary works by women and, and, you know, and the discussions of how women had to make good marriages and, and you know, in the 17th, 18th and 19th centuries and, you know, all those books that we're not going to get into. But for me, the other big irony is King Gezu. Mm-hmm. Okay, I, let me just vent here for a minute. And I know mm-hmm. this is real and it's true. And I understand about harem culture. Doesn't mean I have to like it. Yeah. So I, it, it's he is so respectful of the Agoji. He is so respectful, not just of uh, Naniska's abilities and her skills, but her, her intellect. He respects her advice. He takes her advice, mm-hmm. turns around, and as he's walking, and he, when he first enters, his very first scene, when he enters the scene, he is saying, my loves, my loves, it's plural. There's L-O-V-E-S. He's saying, he's, he's tilting his head to each of the women in his harem, saying, my loves. And, you know, and it gets to the main wife, I guess. I don't know if she's the head wife or the most recent one. But he stops with her and actually, I think, embraces her or something. But anyway, so there's like at least a dozen women here that he's married to. So how does a man not see this? <laughs> <laughs> and it's not just it's not just him. How do the women, how do the women warriors not see the irony of this? And I'm sure they do, but yeah. this is just so, you know, it's just such a, a, a long, hard part of their culture that, you know, it's like, let us win the war, Beth, and we'll, then we'll get we'll, we'll get around <laughs> to changing these, these customs. But, um, yeah, it's really, it's really difficult for me. It was a very difficult scene to watch, yeah, even though it's I, beautiful, because he's very loving. He comes and he yeah. loves all these women. But what, what right do you have to have this many wives? Yeah, I have mixed feelings about King Gezu as a character, but his outfits are really great. <laughs> Oh yeah, he's actually a pretty smart guy too because he can he see that he can he can tell he knows that he is living in a time of transition and he yes. has to move. If he's 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 not a very str- he doesn't have a big kingdom. He doesn't yeah. have a lot of as much wealth as some of the other kingdoms do. He's got to prove himself, and I think he takes a chance. Uh, and he's got this wonderful, you know, warrior uh, group of women. And I think he takes a chance and, and decides to move into the future change, by changing the future, getting away from the slave trade by rejecting their participation in that, even though he knows it's a risk. But it's a risk he's willing to take, I think, because he realizes that things are changing and he wants to be at the forefront of that. Yeah. He wants to be in the avant-garde, sort of. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, and and he sees in Aniska somebody who can help him get there. Mm-hmm. So that, and I think he does respect her. And and yeah. I mean, she she defies him at the end of the movie, and he has to let that go. And you know, that's going to be hard for a man like him. Oh yeah. So yeah. he lets it go and embraces her as the woman king. Well, he can also see it's a popular move because she is very popular with not just all the male and female warriors, but the community that lives outside the walls. So, yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah, the community that lives outside the walls basically only knows her as their victorious general. She is like a Mm -hmm. shining beacon of Mm -hmm. hope for them. She's she's essentially the, the person who beat the Oyo by the end of the film. Yes. Well, and here's a question. You called her a general. So here's my uh, big question I have. Agoshi says at one point that she she will be the 
Meganon one day, and we know oh, that yeah, yeah, um, yeah. how do you how do you pronounce that? Meganon. Uh, oh, Mig- I think it's Meganon and the Meganon, Meganon. And, the and, Meganon and the Megan. Okay, so yeah. what does that mean? Do you know? Did you look? I up? don't. I don't know. My but from the way they were using it, I feel like they both mean general, and one is gendered female, and one is gendered male. Yeah, I mean, I think the the male female, but it has to be like them. I mean, they're the highest ranking generals. Then. Yeah, I mean, I don't. You know, I'm I'm not very good at even like a, you know American soldier ranks. I you know I know they're like different. In they're the like the four star generals. The yeah, they're the, she's <laughs> she's they're the joint the joint chiefs of staff. They're the joint chiefs of staff. <laughs> yeah, they're the joint chiefs of staff, and her promotion at the end is essentially to vice president because it does seem like the woman king, based on the the thrones that they're sitting on at the end, she achieves the highest possible position for a woman, but her throne is still lower than King Gezu's. Yeah. So I think she's well, just, she yeah. essentially becomes vice president. This actually this actually made me think about the transition that the British monarchy is going through right now with the you know oh, got a yeah. new king and then the young young dude, uh prince whatever his name is, is gonna be king next. William, yeah. And I have still not seen in any videos when Charles and his wife walk together, she is walking behind him. If they've done away with that. But that's what this reminded me of because Elizabeth and Philip, Philip always walked behind her because mm. she was, she's, she's, uh, she's a sovereign. She's yeah. not just, uh, well, you, the TV show, The Crown, uh, I didn't understand this before, but the crown isn't, isn't the queen or king. The crown is the crown. It's, it's the position. It's the head of state. So whoever wears the crown is the crown. And so Philip always had to walk behind her. And I have not seen William and, and Kate don't do that. They walk together, but of course he's not king yet. Yeah. So I'm, I'm just curious if that is something that they're going to do away with. I don't know. But that's what this reminded me of. Yeah. Okay, so can we talk a little bit about the treatment of women? Since this is, yes. this is our, our theme. So I have just a few bullet points. I love the camaraderie of the women in here. Even, you know, not in the not in the, the battle scenes. They do kind of save each other in the battle scenes, although that's not, doesn't seem to be their primary focus. Their primary focus is to overwhelm and kill their opponents. But when they're not battling it out on the battlefield, they're singing and dancing. It's a community of gentleness, but also strength and power. You know, when Agozi says to Namu, you are powerful. There's just so much respect for women in this film. I mean, except for the harem. <laughs> um, and even that, Although, that I, yeah, brings up I, a whole different subject with that with the main wife. Yeah, yeah she's, she's I mean, an interesting character. You know, I, I do think, obviously, there's an inherent unevenness to, you know, one man, multiple wives. However, I will say that oftentimes in cultures that have had that that setup that was often the best way to get ahead as a woman was to join the harem and kind of that was the only place where a woman could basically socially climb and to be fair in order to get there you did have to be beautiful or at least pleasing to the king but once you were i i I was just listening to a a history of the uh, chinese empress i'm not going to remember her name but she started off as a prostitute and became empress oh i know yeah i know what you're talking about well do, do you remember the the head wife's name here shantae shantae while you're looking that up i'll talk a little bit about shantae she is clever and in a manipulative way wu zetan i might not be pronouncing that right or possibly wu zetian that sounds very familiar yeah this is china yes china about? she basically joined the king's harem and climbed and manipulated her way to the top now she had to be pretty freaking yeah. ruthless to get there but she became empress but listen to the words we're using yeah. when it's women they're manipulative mm-hmm. they're ruthless mm-hmm. but when it's men they're clever mm-hmm. and capable mm-hmm. 
So Shantae in this movie is presented as somebody who is manipulative, and yet she gives the king pretty good advice a lot of the time. He actually, she's the main wife because she is smart. So I would say smart and capable versus manipulative and ruthless. And in the end, when she sees what this woman has done, and um, Naniska, I, I, I almost made a list of all the names so I wouldn't screw I, them I up. And here straight I straight up did. Name I up. did make a list of the names. <laughs> <laughs> so when she sees how the what this woman has done for the king, she's basically eliminated his biggest enemy. I mean, his biggest opponent in achieving supremacy mm-hmm. in, in, in this, this, part, this part of Africa. Yeah. So she realizes that she cannot say it. She was planning on being the woman king herself. Yeah. She thought that that should come to her as the main wife, as someone who's supportive and smart. But she realizes that it's not a good, that is not a smart political move on her part, her part. She needs to find her power in other ways and let Laniska become the woman yeah. king. And she realizes that. But I, I have respect for her because she she's a really smart woman yeah. and she uses her smarts. Yeah. But we're not supposed to like her. Yeah, I, I mean, like she's, she's definitely the the minor antagonist for uh, Naniska. Mm-hmm. I have mixed feelings about her as a character, but I'm glad that she's there. Both because mm-hmm. she does kind of serve the purpose of, you know, you, you kind of want to thread a needle with a movie like this where you don't want the whole movie to be about Naniska experiencing sexism over and over again, but you also right. don't want to act like it wasn't there. And I feel like Shantae is kind of a really interesting character because she presents a more nuanced challenge for Naniska. She's obviously not yeah. opposed to women having power. She herself wants mm-hmm. power, but there is sort of this, you know, they obviously represent two sides of a dichotomy. Naniska is a warrior. She, you know, doesn't dress in fine clothes. She's dressed in her her warrior's garb and she's covered in scars and always battle ready where Shante incredibly beautiful always dressed to the nines and not a warrior not someone who's going to go out and physically fight for her kingdom i mean she she's actually wearing an outfit that she can like just barely move around and it's not quite as constrictive as some of the like giant ball gown skirts but you know she's got that beautiful headpiece made of like cowrie shells yes. that goes almost all the way down to the floor uh, and when she's introduced, she has a conversation with the eunuch. I'm not sure if the eunuch is named or not. I didn't write down his name. And he only has one scene, so. Two, but yeah. Two scenes, yeah, yeah. Um, and yeah, so they, they have this conversation where she kind of expresses disdain for Naniska, and he kind of pushes back at her and says, like, well, yes, when, does. when the coup happened, Naniska was out there winning it for the king. Yes. Where were you? Hiding in a closet? <laughs> That's basically what he says. Which he's also an interesting character because I feel like he was very obviously queer coded. So let's get back to that later. That's my my after the thing is (laughs) my comment. Yeah, we can talk about that later. I think he he deserves a whole conversation on on his own. But yeah, but so that's just you know they're set up. Shantae and Naniska are set up as like very different, and Shantae is kind of a different version of womanhood but you know i feel like there are so many movies that would have ended with her getting her comeuppance and they don't really do that she doesn't win she doesn't beat naniska she doesn't become the woman king but she doesn't suffer either and i like that (laughs) i do too i like it i think she's i think she comes off really well and and that's the other thing is there are just so many things going on in this movie so you know the the whole treatment of women but also it's a movie about power you know the fight for power dominance the 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 way we get power the way we hold on to it what it does to us and whether it's you can it can be used for good 
And in this case, Naniska sees and understands that it can be used for good. If she can get the power of the woman king, she can be an advisor to the king in the ongoing struggle to, to dismantle the slave trade. Mm -hmm. So it's a very effective place for her to be. Power can be used. Yeah. Uh, Shantae also sees that power can be used. And the other thing that's interesting in, in the movie for me is the different ways women are. So some of them are in the harem and they're very feminine. Some of them are on the battlefield. And I'm not even sure there's a word for that. It's not masculine because yeah. none of those women, none of these warriors are masculine at all. They're very feminine, but they are strong. They're strong. And I, mean, and I don't mean just muscle strong. They are strong of character yeah. and strong of motivation and determination. And will. And yeah. they are just willed. They're very strong willed. And we don't get, we don't really get to know a lot about the, the male warriors. Yeah. Except the one scene where they decide to join uh, Naniska in her decision to go and free the prisoners. The the Migan is he he I think he doesn't get quite as much as Shantae does, but he's kind of the other minor antagonist in that he and Naniska are often not on the same side of an issue until the end. There's kind of a shift. Yes, I think it's actually when yes. the, the white guy shows up when the white guy Santo, the Brazilian slaver. Uh, and I just want to be clear, they're definitely, they're speaking Portuguese, they do reference a king, but they also specifically at one point say that these guys came from Brazil. So that's why I'm going with Brazilian. And Santo, the white guy, Malik's friend, when he shows up at the palace to say hi to the king, and when this happens, we already know that he's been talking to the Oyo, and that he knows that the Oyo are planning on annihilating yes. Dahomey. And we he, know he's an evil guy. Yeah. We know he's a bad guy. He, yeah, yeah, he thinks that Dahomey is going to be annihilated, and he's going to visit them to show them to Malik before they get destroyed. And he does not at any point warn them. He pretends like he's an ally to mm -hmm. King Gezu, but he does not warn them. He does not help them. As soon as he shows up, the the Migan says something like, "I don't like the look of this fancy." boy or something and Aniska's like well this for once we agree and that's kind of mm -hmm. I think the first turning point in their relationship where they start to be on the same side of things because this greater enemy has shown up and they both recognize it and they're not sure if the king does yet the king puts him in his place too yeah. he says you come to my country you speak my language which of course we know would not be English but yeah. he but he speaks English because yeah. that's what but yeah I think the whole film is is about uh, it's about power it's about womanhood mm -hmm. I mean these these women and how they have taken womanhood and just changed the whole language mm -hmm. about how how women should be should act or should be perceived and this is 1823 Africa you know think about what what women were going through or doing or how they were living in America mm -hmm. in 1823 mm -hmm. they weren't running around in in bikinis killing chopping men's heads off and filing their nails down to a point to pluck <laughs> out their eyes oh my god that is that's another visual we didn't even talk about is that is that they all have really sharp i'm assuming they all do because both the gozi and and now we do they file them to a fine point and they paint them they're painted pink yeah which so, i wonder if that's to increase their strength because when your nails have something i would on think them, they're a bit stronger yeah and i would imagine yeah you kind of need that if you are, because we do see Azogi mm -hmm. at one point pull out. I mean, we don't see the whole thing, but we we see her get her nails ready, and then there's like a squish sound, and you know that she like she did yeah. use them to pull out a dude's eyes. Yeah, to pluck his eyes out. Yeah. So there's another thing in womanhood. There, you know, something that we consider the very feminine act of painting our nails, mm -hmm. and they they turn that on its head and use it to kill people. Mm -hmm. <laughs> 
Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's it's very effective. So um, so anyway, back to the treatment of women. When Naomi complains about the rope during the training, and Nanesca mm-hmm. lets her use the sword, and we've mm-hmm. talked about that, and it's heavy, and she can't do it. And it, it's just, it's, it's a coming-of-age scene that we see usually with boys to men. Yeah. I love it that they turn that around and use it here. The contest between Egozi and the man, the spear oh, cutting yeah, the into them, where, they, where the they're, it's, a, it's a test of test of endurance, yeah. and she wins. Yeah. Which is, you know, of course she wins, because she's a woman, and women have a higher threshold of pain. I yeah. mean, that's the reason I think we, should, we, can, we can have babies. We should describe specifically what's happening. That Izogi yeah. and one of the male warriors are standing across from each other, and there's a spear that has been sharpened on both ends that is stuck both into ends. their uh, shoulder blades, basically. Or they're, they're the front of their shoulder. Front. The front of yeah, their the shoulders, front of their right? Shoulder. Yeah. And they're, like, staring at each other. And I believe the contest is which one of them can withstand the pain enough to step forward. And Izogi ends up winning because she pushes the other guy back. Yeah. Well, and we should be, it should be noted that it's their shoulder right above their heart. Yes. It's not the right side. It's the left side. And they're pushing against each other. Well, actually, one of them, hers is her left side. I guess his would have to be his right side. I don't know. But anyway, so, and she wins by, by pushing him back. So that that's another thing, the test of endurance, which, you know, just reminds us that women have babies and men don't. Oh, here's the expression that they use. The blood of our sisters, it makes us invincible. Yes. You live for me and I for you. That's the phrase they, they use over and over again. And it's like their rallying cry. Yeah. I, I really like that while we're talking about this i also want to talk about ode and fumbe naui's friends so okay i think fumbe is the one whose family was killed but she's she's kind of the the soft one of the three of them she's the one that naui has to help get through the akasha bush mm-hmm. she's best at doing the knots and not as good at everything else but she does uh, make it through and then ode is kind of the opposite um ode is the one other trainee who is just as tough as Nawe. She's the one who almost wins the competition before Nawe overtakes her. And her background is that she was actually... So the village that the Agogie attack in the first scene are the Mahi. It's a Mahi village. Ode is Mahi. She's she's mm-hmm. from the Mahi village. And the initially the visual signifier of that is that her hair appears red. And I think it's that they have woven she's she's got kind of braids in her hair and they've yeah. woven some sort of short, red. Short and thick. Yeah. yeah. Short and th- yeah, and they've woven some sort of red thread into it. And I just have a, a couple of notes about her. First of all, the three of them, Nawe, Fumbe, and Ode, it's they're such a good like archetype. They're they're like a very subtle expression of this like archetype of the three friends it comes up a lot in anime which i know you're not into i'm just gonna talk about it for a second (laughs) not familiar with yeah (laughs) they kind of remind me of the three main characters in attack on titan a really well-known uh anime the main character nawe is kind of the Aaron. fumbe the more sort of soft one is kind of the armin and then ode is the mikasa that's sort of how I think of them. It's the the main character who who wants it the most, and then there's the soft character who is often better at the more intellectual or like strategy part of it. And then there's like the hardcore character who's just brutal and really skilled and really determined. Uh, and that one is Ode. And Ode is the one with the red hair. With the red hair, yes. 
Yeah. But she she changes it. She starts off with red hair. Yes, she's. Yeah. But then once she becomes an uh, an agoji, the red hair is gone. She takes it. There's actually yeah. There's actually a scene of her like unbraiding her hair and pulling it out. I think. I didn't notice that, but I did notice it when it was gone. It's. I think it's while they're going to sleep at some point. I didn't notice it the first time I watched it. I actually like yeah. rewound it and was like, oh, this is where she's taking her hair out. That's why her hair isn't red later. So it's a transformation for her. Yeah, and there's kind of one other big thing that happens with her which so early on um when they're still training she has an interaction with a really minor character who i I paused it and i was watching it on prime so they told me what the character's name is the character's name is tara but you never actually hear it um spoken out loud but basically while they're still training this other girl tara comes over and kind of like pushes her and is like, you're Mahi, you'll never be one of us. You'll never be my sister. And I think it's actually Amenza who comes over and and tells her to stop and says, hey, I was taken captive from another village as well. Are you saying that you're better than me? And the girl's like clearly cowed by that. And Amenza's like, once we've passed the test, we are all- uh, Blood sisters, blood of our- Yes. Yeah, yeah, we are all Agogia. We are all sisters. We are all here for each other. And the thing that's interesting about that is in the, not the final big battle, but in the big battle where Nawe and Izogi end up getting captured, Ode gets killed and you actually get a scene of a woman mourning her, putting um, the blanket over her face and then the little figure on her face. It's the girl who was bullying her earlier. And she, she says something like, uh, you fought well, young sister, now rest. It's, it's a very emotional scene. And you realize that the transformation has happened for all these young women, that they have become one with each other. And so it's also a, a movie about friendship in, in a different way because their friendship is their common purpose mm-hmm. and their training and their, and their trust yes. in each other. In the interest of two friendships that I think are the strongest are, you know, so Niska and Aminza, she's definitely her definitely her her close friend who taught who is the only one who knows that she had a baby and that she gave it up for adoption or Amen- she Amen- gave is, it up immense is actually the one who, who it's the one she she took it away yeah she took, took the baby her, yeah. away so back to, i i have refrained from saying adoption because she really i think she was supposed to kill the baby and she's supposed to take it away yeah get I rid mean, of it i mean it's it's interesting because yeah naniska definitely told her to do something with it and she didn't want to know what it was no, which she does didn't imply know. she wants her to kill it however if she wants her to kill it then why did she put the shark tooth in her skin so uh, exactly because we didn't say what this is um basically the way that naniska figures out that nawe is her daughter is she she sees this scar we did talk touch on it briefly she sees this scar she eventually reveals that amensa left her alone with the baby for a little bit and she cut open her skin and pushed a shark tooth in on this spot and then she like cuts Nawe and reveals the shark tooth the scene about her doing that she has enough time with this baby to bond with her and that's something that that's an adoption issue too a lot of women who give the babies up for adoption don't want to spend even a minute holding the baby because they know that if they do they won't be able to give it up there's a you've carried this baby inside you it's a stretch Mm -hmm. to to give it away period so if you're going to hold it good chance yeah. you're not going to be able to to keep it for for most women i mean some women 
just know that the best thing for the baby, they believe it, it's to not be with them, blah, blah, blah. But a lot of women have a really hard time. So she has this baby for enough time that she bonds with her. She wants to know what happens to her, even though she doesn't give lip service to that. She cuts her. Although, can you imagine cutting into a, a tiny baby skin yeah, and wild. putting a shark to it's yeah. yeah. And then it has to heal. She has to, she has to sit there for long enough for the skin to, to, to reheat, to heal. She has to hold it in place mm-hmm. while the skin heals. So she's holding that baby for a while. Yeah, so that's a very, Aminza is her friend who does this for her, who knows her history. She's the one that when one of the first turning points in the movie is when she hates, she tells Aminza this dream that she has. She says, I know what I'm afraid of. The beast I'm afraid of is me. Mm-hmm. It's that girl who was silenced in those shackles by those men. I've hidden her away. I have denied her pain, but I'm going to hear her now. I have to try to save her. She's talking about herself and, and Nowie. He's yeah. talking about both of them. And that is what allows her to kill Oba. She overcomes her fear and she says to him, you do not remember me, but now you will never forget. Of course, she says that right when she kills him. So, yeah. but, but when she, she kills him, you know, having the baby is something that, because now she knows Nawi is her daughter and she's looking out for her and she's protecting her. But at the same time, that knowledge that Nawi has grown up into this young woman and is her, her child allows her to do the things she needs to do, which is to realize her own power, mm-hmm. her abilities as a leader, and her ability to kill the man who came close to destroying her life. He didn't. He, she didn't let him succeed. And she doesn't give herself credit for that because she got, she got through that. She got past it. But it's still, she's still giving her nightmares. Yeah. So, but it, so having Nellie in her life again reminds her of what's important, reminds her that she needs to kill this bastard. Yeah. <laughs> That's what's important. All right, listeners, like I said at the top, this episode ran a little long, so we've edited it into two parts. This concludes part one, but don't worry, we won't leave you hanging for long. Part two of this discussion will be available in two weeks. This has been Woman Inherits the Earth, our mother-daughter film discussion podcast. I'm Tessa Dare, and my co-host is Beth Von Baron. For now, you can find us on Patreon at patreon.com slash where you lead. We hope you enjoyed this episode, and you'll tune in for part two in two weeks. See you then!